0: preach this morning a sermon out of Luke chapter number 2 if you want to turn there with me. Luke chapter number 2 this morning. I would say outside of John chapter number 3, Luke chapter number 2 might be the second most familiar passage of Scripture in the world. It seems like no matter where you go this time of year this passage of Scripture is being referenced. But today I want to highlight. What I'm calling the biggest announcement ever. The biggest announcement ever. You know, announcements can be really fun things. They really can't. They can be terrifying things, let's be honest. But they can also be really fun things. Announcing an engagement, a pregnancy, a birth, a career change, or an achievement. These are all exciting times in a person's life. And they often are met with some kind of announcement. Of course, we're living in an age of social media, and so announcements have become far more wide-ranging than they used to be. Uh, Now it seems like that uh, because there's an audience, announcements are even a bigger deal. And so now they have reveal parties, and they have this, and they have that, all surrounding the idea of making an announcement about something exciting, something new. And the truth is, throughout recent history, we've had quite a few big, historic, world-changing announcements. You think about July 4th, 1776, there was a massive, huge announcement made that day, was there not, that ultimately led to the independence of our nation. There was also December 7th, 1941, a tragic day in the life of our nation whenever an announcement was made that Japan had attacked Pearl Harbor. May 14th, 1948, was a massive day historically and prophetically in our world whenever we finally recognized Israel for the first time after 2,000 years, recognized Israel as a nation. On May 14th, 1948, what an announcement! And then many of us here today will never forget the announcement that was made on September 11th, 2001, that we'd all been attacked by terrorists. And you know, we could go back through and we could take the time to highlight all the announcements that have shifted, whether to the good or to the bad, the course of history. But there is one announcement that I believe stands out above all the rest as the single biggest announcement ever made. And it's found right here in Luke chapter number 2. Let's begin at verse number one together. Luke chapter two, verse one. Again, many of you probably this morning can quote this passage to me. But if you could, I'd like for you to just for a moment wipe away every time you've ever heard this and listen to it like it's the first time you ever did. Listen to verse number one. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were, in the same country, shepherds abiding in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. Here comes the biggest announcement ever. goodwill toward men. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. Heavenly Father, would you bless now as we enter into your word, would you speak to our hearts as only you can. Lord, we trust you with this moment. Completely surrendered, Lord, we ask you to take complete control. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. We've just looked at, in fact, the biggest announcement ever made. And I know for us who have read it so many times, it's so easy to look at this announcement. And as I'm reading it, just go through it in our heads because we've heard it so many times. But I want you to realize something here in this moment. This was a moment unlike any other moment. And what I'd like to do is take what the angel said here and talk about the significance of every single phrase in this announcement Because as we break it apart, what we find is that Christ, Jesus Christ, is about to change everything. Nothing from this point forward will ever be the same in the most extraordinary of ways. The first thing we see in this passage, look back with me at verse number 8 and verse number 9. It says there in verse number 8, And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. The first thing I want us to consider this morning is the prophetic significance of the announcement. You know, for for literally almost 4,000 years, Person after person after person after person after person had said he's coming. I saw a video this week posted by a dear friend of mine from days gone by. And he had posted this video of a preacher bringing home this point. That the truth is, is that, you know, Moses said that he was coming. And Abraham said that he was coming. And Elijah said that he was coming. And Elisha said he was coming. Nehemiah said that he was coming and Ezra said that he was coming. Zechariah said that he was coming over and over and over again for 4,000 years. They had said he is coming. But do you understand, dear Christian, that on this night the message finally changes? For 4,000 years, the message has been the same. He is coming. He is coming. He is coming. He is coming. But now, in this announcement, the biggest announcement ever to be made, the message changes from He is coming to He is finally here. Can you imagine? We talk about the wonder and the splendor of the Christmas season, but could you imagine... After 400 years, over 400 years of total silence from heaven, the portals of glory burst open as God sends through to man's view an angel to announce the birth of his only begotten son. This is an extraordinary moment. An announcement that will, unlike any other announcement, change the course of history forever. Finally, from He is coming to He is here. Again, for you and I, it's common knowledge. For you and I, we are living some 2,000 years removed from this announcement on the other side. But this morning and for this Christmas season, what my heart's desire is for me and my family and my heart's desire for you and your family is that we might go back and really embrace the nature of what's said here. The nature of what's taking place here. Hundreds upon hundreds of prophecies Piled one on top of the other. Over 4,000 years awaiting someone that would come and fulfill every last one of them. And finally that someone has stepped onto the scene. He is here. Jesus has come. The Messiah has finally been born. Oh, what prophetic significance there is in this announcement. The second thing I want us to look at is the emotional significance of the announcement. There is life-altering emotional significance to what is said here in this announcement. Look at verse 10 with me, the beginning of the verse. It says, And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy. I've thought a lot about the shepherds. They're out in the middle of the field in the cover of darkness. Over 400 years of silence since God has spoken to man. That's generations and generations and generations. That have come and gone. Not heard one word from heaven. You can imagine how these shepherds must have felt. You understand what their job was. They were raising sheep to be slaughtered for sacrifice. That was their job. That's what they did. Bethlehem was very well known for. We'll get to that in a little bit. But one thing that stands out to me is that the first thing that is addressed by these angels when they look at the faces of these shepherds is the terror. The terror in their eyes. If you notice, it says in verse number 9, it says, and they were sore afraid. Understand something. This isn't typical fear. I don't know if you've ever been uh, if you've ever been paralyzed with fear, I don't know if you've ever been there, but literally you can't even move your body. Fear has so overtaken you that you can't even you can't even move. You can't scream. You can't make a noise. You're just completely paralyzed in fear. That's the idea here. Suddenly, these shepherds see something that you and I have never even seen, and they are so so amazed by it, so overwhelmed by it, they're struck. With such a, such a sense of fear. And it just blesses my heart to know. That the, that the angels whenever they step on the scene to announce the birth of Christ. The very first thing they say. Fear not. I mean I don't know if that blesses you like it blesses me. But that speaks to me. They don't come in with, with big loud cymbals and trumpets of blowing and whatever. They don't come in and just start, start into the announcement. They see They see these shepherds. They look at them and they they see their faces. They weren't so intent on sharing the message that they overlooked the hearts of the ones that they were reaching with the message. They say, fear not. Fear not. There had been great suffering that these Jewish shepherds had experienced. They had gone through times that should cause great fear. Fear. They were seeing something that no one had ever seen before. At least not for generations upon generations. And so it only makes sense that the shepherds come to them and say, fear not. Not only had there been great suffering, but there had also been great silence. Like I said, for over 400 years, total silence from heaven. And now, heaven comes to them. And speaks directly to them. Notice it says, fear not. For behold... I bring you good tidings. You know what the word good tidings means? It means good news. I mean, I know I've mentioned this before, but I'll mention it again today. Don't you get sick and tired of bad news? Why is all the news bad news? Why is that? Why are we in such a place that the only thing that's newsworthy is the terrible, awful things that happen in our world? That's where we're at. And you better believe that during this time period, this era of darkness, this 400 some years of silence, this was a dark time period. And there's no doubt in my mind that all the news during this time period was bad news. But not here. Not now. Because the angels finally have something extraordinary to share with these shepherds. And that is why they come and they say, fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings. I've got good news for you. There had been great suffering, and so they said, fear not. There had been great silence, and so they said, I have good tidings. There had also been great sorrow. And for that reason, they said that those good tidings were coming with great joy. I want you to think about what has happened in the world since this announcement. Everything has changed. Now, I know we're living in a difficult time. I believe we're right up next to the return of Christ. I think Jesus is coming very, very soon. I really believe that with all my heart. And I know there's some in the room that would say, oh, preacher, here you go again. (laughs) Telling us all Jesus is coming. You've been saying that for three years. When are you ever going to change your mind? You know, Moses said he was coming. And Abraham said he was coming. And Elijah and Elisha said he was coming. Nehemiah and Ezra said he was coming. Zechariah, all those minor prophets, they all said he was coming. Isaiah said he was coming. Jeremiah said he was coming. And he came. Now, yeah, it took 4,000 years. I'll give you that. But he came. And so this morning, I tell you, he's coming. I believe he's coming. I really do believe he's coming. I believe his return is imminent. I think it's upon us. And some would mock and some would scoff that and say, oh, come on. You've been saying that people like you've been saying that for years and years and years. And I'm going to keep saying it, by the way, because he is coming. He is coming. You know, as we look at this here, we see that this this was a group of people, no doubt, had been filled with great sorrow. And I know we live during sorrowful times now. I know things can be difficult. But I know one thing. I don't want to be so overwhelmed by the circumstances that surround me that I overlook the glorious salvation that has been brought within me by Jesus Christ. And oh, can I tell you, dear Christian, there ought to be great joy Found in that salvation. there are There is not a circumstance on earth that can touch that joy. When it's found in Christ and the salvation that He offers. So we see the emotional significance of this na- announcement. And can I tell you that Jesus Christ... Just as he ended the suffering and the silence and the sorrow for those shepherds at that time, so today Jesus Christ stands ready and was born to end those same exact things for you. You suffering this morning? Can I tell you that suffering is crushed by the hope that we find in Christ? You know, we go through times of suffering, don't we? Every night. Me and my family, we grab our prayer card out. And we get into the bedroom together. And we sit down and all the boys are gathered around. Asher, bless his heart, last night. First time ever happened. Asher, we're, he's got a lot to learn, okay? Just, just be patient with us, okay? He's in that phase where he's got way more to learn. And one of the things that he's learning is that you, you, don't, you don't hang off the bed like a monkey when daddy's praying, Okay? And we're getting there. We're getting there. But last night, for the very first time, and it blessed my heart, we got ready to pray. And he he actually, and none of the other boys even did this. We got ready to pray, and he got down on his knees, and he folded his hands. He put his elbows on the bed, and he went like this. I mean, that boy was down ready for prayer. And whenever we read off those li- that, that list and we, we bring it before the Lord Jesus, I think about your suffering. It's brought back up to my heart every night. There are many that are suffering. But can I tell you that one of these days, glory be to God Almighty, that suffering will end. Amen. It'll end and I can promise you that. I can promise you that because it's not based upon my words or my ideas. It's based upon what God's word has told me. That there is coming a glorious day for the child of God. When all of our tears will finally once and for all be wiped away. And there will be no more sorrow. And there will be no more pain. There will be no more heartache. There will be no more death. This is the hope that we have in Christ. And it is that hope. It is that hope. That crushes our suffering. Christ came to end suffering. He also came to end the silence. Can I tell you something, dear Christian, today? You've been going through times of loneliness. You need to rediscover your faith. That's what needs to happen. I've thought a lot about this one. I thought, why is it that we feel so lonely? Because we do, don't we? I mean, I don't know about you, but there are times that I feel lonely. I've got six kids in my house and there's still a few times I feel lonely. I know it's hard to believe, but it's true. We all experience times that we feel like we're going through something alone. Can I tell you that it's our faith? It's our faith that shatters the silence. You know, this book, it's an extraordinary book. And I would contend that if you have been suffering with a prolonged feeling of loneliness. I'm going to go out on a limb and you, you feel free to ignore what I'm about to say if this does not pertain to you. But if I may go, be so bold as to go out on a limb here and say that if you've been going through a prolonged period of loneliness, I'm going to guess that you've not spent a whole lot of time in this book. Now again, if that doesn't pertain to you, then you don't try to just absorb it. You just leave it right there. But I just believe that a lot of us experience loneliness because we're not spending time with our Savior. Because if we spent personal time with God Almighty, if we spent personal time with the Lord Jesus Christ, those feelings of loneliness and sorrow would dissipate as we rediscover our faith right here in this book. And then finally, Jesus also came To overcome our sorrow. How does he overcome our sorrow? With his love. You know, Jesus loves you. I don't know how often you hear that. I I don't know if you're in a position or around a group of people that tell you that very often. But may I tell you this morning that Jesus dearly loves you. And while you're going through times of sorrow and heartache and pain, He's going through it with you. you so, oh, no, 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 He's allowing this in my life. Well, I think that's a little bit of a misconception that we've adopted that somehow God wants us to hurt. No, He hurts with us. We hurt because we live in a fallen world. We hurt because we've made bad decisions. We hurt because sin has brought in and ushered in things that God never intended to be a part of what we're going through. That's why we hurt. What blesses my heart is that He has promised that He will never leave us nor forsake us. He will grab us arm in arm and at times He will pick us up and carry us through that hurt. Jesus has come just like He has abolished all of those things here with these shepherds so Christ stands ready to abolish all of those things in our lives. So we see here, we see the prophetic significance of the announcement. We see the emotional significance of the announcement. Thirdly, we see the social significance of the announcement. I want you to notice something, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it because it was just a couple of weeks ago that I spent the whole Sunday morning driving this thought home. But I want you to notice a phrase at the end of verse number 10 that culturally and socially, it, is, it goes all the way to the foundation of the social life of this time. And it completely crushes that foundation to build a brand new foundation. Notice at the end of verse number 10, it says, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. I told you this was the biggest announcement ever. This is to all people. The whole world will hear this message. That's what he's saying. Why is it that in Brazil, Indiana, Brazil, Indiana, in the year 2021, are we still up here getting all excited about it? It's because this announcement was to all people. And that included you. Now, socially, this was unacceptable to the Jew at this time. This was something that wasn't supposed to happen. But notice here that whenever he says this, he doesn't say to your people. He says he doesn't say which shall be to your people. He doesn't say that. The idea there is it's not about the bloodline. He doesn't say to God's people. It's not about nationality. He doesn't say to certain people. It's not about status. He says it's to all people. God's love, God's deliverance, God's salvation, God's only Son was given to all people. Does us good to remember that, doesn't it? We also see here the spiritual significance of the announcement. Look in verses 11 and 12. It says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. You know, what we see here from a spiritual perspective or a spiritual aspect is we see God's only Son being magnified in such a very special way. The prophecy of the Christ child is finally revealed. It says, This day in the city of David... You've got to realize this is, this is fundamental prophecy. This is prophecy 101. If you go back to the Old Testament, there's one thing everybody knows. That this Messiah that's coming, He's going to be born of the line of David. He's going to be born in the town of Bethlehem. They all know it. Everybody knows it. Anybody that knows anything about the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, they know this Christ child is going to be born in a certain place to a certain bloodline. And in fact, he fulfills all prophecy. We also see the purpose of the Christ child. Notice what he calls him in verse 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a prophet, a teacher, a good man, an articulate leader, the next king of Israel. No, he says, for unto you is born in the city of David a savior. A Savior. That's who's coming. A Savior has come. We see the purpose of the Christ child in that word. We also see the person of the Christ child. It says a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Hold on a second. Whenever we read, if verse 12 came before verse 11, I'm going to guess the shepherds would really have been scratching their head. Because it says in verse 12, and this shall be a sign unto you, you shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. If that would have been said before the first thing that he said, which is this is Christ the Lord, they'd have been like, what? Hold on, you just said we're going to find this, whatever, in a manger wrapped in swaddling clothes out behind an inn in Bethlehem. And you're telling me that that's where Christ the Lord is going to be born? That's exactly right. We see the person of the Christ child. And finally, we see the plan of the Christ child. Verse number 12. I don't have the time to really deliver this thought the way I want to this morning. But I want to read verse 12 to you again. And then instead of commenting a whole lot on it, I'm going to read, if you would just forgive me for doing it. But I'm going to read verbatim something that I came across uh, about a week and a half ago. I follow, uh, you all know Brother Bob Sanders, right? Right? Uh, His wife, Glenda Sanders, which is, she's just such a sweet lady. She posted something to Facebook. Some of you, I'm sure, saw this about a week and a half ago. And man, it just, I wanted to preach a whole sermon on it. God wouldn't let me. But I thought this would be a great place to consider this. Look at verse 12. It says, and this shall be a sign unto you. To who? To shepherds. Any shepherds? No, the shepherds of Bethlehem. This is important to keep in mind as we consider the plan of the Christ child. How is he going to be the Savior? We're told that he's the Savior. We're told that he's the Christ, the Messiah, the promised one, the one who would fulfill all prophecy. But how is he going to be the Savior? It says, And this shall be a sign unto you, shepherds of Bethlehem. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. I'm going to guess that the moment that they said that, it went straight to the heart of those shepherds. And I want to tell you why. I'll read this to you from Glenda Sanders. It says, Many years ago I heard J.W. DePew uh, mention temple sleep in a message. I had never heard the term and it piqued an interest that I have been searching and seeking information about for years. I had always wondered why the angels told the shepherds first. How would you like for an angel to show up to tell you that, that you're about to be without a job? God's got some mighty impressive messengers. When I was in Israel, I was interested in the area where they kept the sheep. I love learning about the animal that our Father likens us to, even though it often casts us in a bad light, how true it is of our fallen nature. I copied the article below uh, from a post by Nikki Halcomb uh, Sweet, made... Uh, I wanted to share it because it explains to me so much more of the story and the correlation of the lamb and our sweet Savior. Our, uh, let's see here. how he would be our sacrifice uh, and how he would be protected without spot and blemish. Here's the message that she copied and posted Mangers are odd little things, they're feeding troughs, of course. In ancient Israel, they were made of stone. They're not super comfortable, but you know what? In a pinch, they can be kind of protective. That's why experts, priests to live near Bethlehem, near a hill known uh, for raising sacrificial lambs, would put lambs in them. Not all lambs, though. Just the ones they thought were without blemish and suitable for the blood sacrifices that took place twice a day. Sacrifices that would cover sin. These were the lambs Bethlehem was famous for. There was a hill there with a tower. It was called Migdal Eder. And the flocks nearby were the ones that yielded lambs for sacrifice. The priests wanted to keep the lambs without bumps and bruises, so they'd wrap them up tightly. They would swaddle them. They would wrap them in clothes and like a little precious fragile baby, they would lay them inside of the manger. Manger is only mentioned in one account of Jesus' birth, and that's in Luke, here where we're reading. And it makes sense. There's really only a small group of people who would ever understand its significance. And they are the very ones who hear the words, you will find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Shepherds. The shepherds of the sacrificial flock. They knew what the clothes represented. They knew what the manger meant. This will be a sign to you, uh, shepherds of Bethlehem, the angel said. And it was, it wouldn't have been a sign to many, but it was to these shepherds. To them, most definitely. The sign was staggering. The long expected king wasn't headed to a palace. No, this was going to be different. He was going to be sacrificed. They knew where the Messiah was born, but they also knew where he was headed. When they were told by these angels that the sign to you will be that this baby will be wrapped in swaddling clothes and laying in a manger. In that moment, they knew, they knew This baby was born as a sacrifice. As we see all of this unfolding for us, we can't help but finally consider the historical significance of the announcement. At the moment that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Ghost in Mary, the world entered a transition period that it would never be able to come back from. From in that moment of transition, the world over a 33 and a half year period of time went from an old covenant to a new covenant with God from the age of the law to the age of grace. From God visiting man to God dwelling inside of man by his Holy Spirit. From the gospel being concealed in the Old Testament to the gospel fulfilled in the New. From covering sin to cleansing it. I could go on and on and on and on about all the ways the world has changed since Jesus came. But it all began right here. In a field at night with a group of shepherds. When God burst on the scene and gave the greatest news, the biggest announcement we've ever had made. Jesus isn't coming. He's here. Would you stand with me this morning? How did these shepherds respond to the news as Luke makes his way forward to play something quietly on the piano here? How did these shepherds respond to this news? Did they tuck themselves away, run home, tell their families, make sure the sheep were nice and tidy before they left? No, they responded, I believe, the same way you and I ought to respond today. Notice there in verse number 12, it says "and this, or I'm sorry, verse number 13. It says, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, let us now go even unto Bethlehem. There are some here today that need to go back to Bethlehem. You need to go back. You you think you've moved on. But there's a reason that God's brought you here today. And it's because you need to go back. And be reminded of his love. Be reminded of his tenderness. Be reminded of how much he has done for you. They go to Bethlehem. And then they see the thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known unto them. There are some here today that need to put off all the distractions and look squarely back at the Lord Jesus Christ. I know what we do. Here's what we do. When we feel uncomfortable with something, we ignore it. When we feel like we don't measure up, we just steer clear. And I'm asking you this Christmas not to do that. To not just ignore Jesus for another year because it's uncomfortable. But to take a moment and look squarely at Christ. Look into His compassionate eyes. Be overwhelmed by a sweet new sense of His presence. There are some that need to do that. It says there at the end of verse number 15, it says... Uh, let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord has made known unto us. Some of us here need to just believe what God has said. Stop doubting. Stop questioning. Stop looking to the history channel to make up my theology. But just rest in the Word of God that has proven true for millennia. It says in verse 16... It says, and they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. That means they ran as fast as they could. There are some of us here today, that's what we need to do. We need to obey with haste. We need to come running. Kneel down at the altar. Be struck with a fresh sense of wonder over what Christ has done for us. Verse 17, guess what they do in verse 17. It says, and when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. There are some of us here today who have visited Bethlehem. We've looked squarely into the eyes of our Savior. We've been overwhelmed by what He has done for us. We've trusted His Word. Now we need to be going out and telling as many people as we can about what He has done for us. Be filled. Be filled with the wonder that is Christ. You know, we we spend so much time chasing so many things. Especially now, this week, we're going to be running here, there, and everywhere but can we just stop chasing after all the things that only fill our hearts for a moment and finally rest in the one who can fill our hearts for all eternity?